0: Have you ever written a love note to someone? If so, maybe you look back on that with a little bit of embarrassment or maybe you look back on it fondly. But in that love letter, if you can remember, what kinds of things did you put in that love letter? Uh, Many people, myself among them, have kind of made fun of modern worship because it often sounds like, or, you know, K-Love or the kind of poppy Christian music. It often sounds like a love letter from a girlfriend or a boyfriend, right? It's it kind of, you could replace the words for God and you would just have a popular uh, song, right? There's no real substance to it. But here we actually have a, a psalm that is called a love song. Now, why would there be in the hymnal of Israel, in their songbook, a love song? But Unlike some of the modern worship songs that we might be critical of, this is clearly something more than just an ordinary love song. And so it's it's a unique thing in this altar to see this, and it's a bit confusing. But when you see what the psalm is about and why it's here, it makes perfect sense. And it enriches our understanding of God as well. So look at the um, the heading here, right? It says, to the choir master, according to lilies, a mascal of the sons of Korah, a love song. So obviously the part that stands out for us is a love song. Which possibly refers to a royal wedding that is happening, but the the phrase "according to lilies" is also interesting. What does that mean? Well, that the the that word lilies kind of connects us probably to the Song of Solomon, where that word is mentioned a few times. Um, it's also the other great love song in the Bible, but. When you see that according to whatever, this probably refers to the tune that the music was set to. We don't know that for sure, and of course the tunes have been lost to us in history, but that's most likely what's happening here. So let's look at our outline. This is adapted from Jim Hamilton and his outline, and we see the first section is the royal victory, then the royal rule, and then the royal wedding. So verses one to five, the Royal victory. Verse one, it says, my heart overflows with a pleasing theme. I address my verses to the King. My tongue is like the pen of a ready scribe. So it starts off with a statement of the inspiration and passion of the writer of this Psalm. He's overflowing or he's boiling over with what he calls a pleasant theme. Our pleasing theme. So this pleasing theme in Hebrew is literally a good word. That's what it means. He's overflowing or boiling over with a good word. He's meditating on good news. And he's probably thinking back to the promises of God that will culminate in the coming of a great king. Um, And we see the good news throughout scripture. Obviously, we would use the word gospel. But I think it's something similar to this, that there is a king coming and he's looking forward to that. And he's waiting on that. And so he's writing, yes, a, a love song, but really it's it's more than just some sort of romantic gesture. This is really pointing to the Messiah, the Savior King who will come. And he says he's like a ready scribe. This is the term used of Ezra in Ezra 7-6, where it says, This Ezra went up from Babylonia. He was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given And the king granted him all that he asked for the hand of the Lord, his God was on him. So this is someone who knows God's word and how to handle it. That's what it's saying, right? This idea of a skilled scribe or a ready scribe is the same, same idea in the Hebrew. And he speaks of his tongue as well, right? Uh, His tongue is like a ready scribe. So this is a, the Psalms were obviously written down. We have them written down, but they were also sung and they were recited as poetry and music. And so he's looking forward to reading or singing this song for this king that is to come. Verse 2, he says, You are the most handsome of the sons of men. Grace is poured upon your lips. Therefore, God has blessed you forever. Handsome, this this is not probably about his actual physical appearance, but about what the Messiah king will bring into the world. That his appearing will be beautiful. I, you know, Isaiah 53, 2 indicates that the Messiah, when he comes, will not be much to look at. He won't be that good looking and i don't think that this contradicts that it's simply speaking about what happens when the messiah comes he says grace is poured upon your lips so he'll be gifted in speech he'll have god's word in his mouth and he also has god's eternal blessing so David's response to God's covenant with him was this, and I think the words remind me of this, 2 Samuel 7, 9, this is how David responded to God's covenant. He says, now for now, therefore may it please you to bless the house of your servant so that it may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord, have spoken, and with your blessing shall the house of your servant be blessed forever. So this idea of an eternal blessing that's coming, um, that's inherent in the David's own covenant. So, when the, the Messiah comes as a fulfillment of that covenant, there's going to be this eternal blessing. And so, as the psalmist is looking upon this king, we we can see here he's looking to that future messianic king. Um, it also reminds us of <clears throat> of Genesis chapter 12, where we see the same thing. Where Abraham is told that through him all the nations of the world will be blessed. So, blessing is coming to the Messiah and through the Messiah. Verse three, he says, gird your sword on your thigh, O mighty one, in your splendor and majesty. In your majesty, ride out victoriously for the cause of truth and meekness and righteousness. Let your right hand teach you awesome deeds. Your arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies. The peoples fall under you. So he begins to speak about the conquest of the king right? He's speaking here about this battle, this conquest that is coming. He knows this coming Messiah will reign over the world and will conquer the enemies of God's people. So he can't wait for that to happen, right? He's looking for that to happen. He says, for the cause of truth and meekness and righteousness. This idea of the cause of truth is literally the word of truth, and it has to do with things that are firm and fixed and unchanging. So he's, he's a Going out and conquering for truth, for those things that are faithful and and sure, and meekness. That's the second thing, and meekness, which means humility or an accurate view of self before God. He needs truth and he needs meekness. And third, righteousness. Righteousness. This is a legal term and it speaks of having fulfilled all of God's commands. And so these three ideas, they're all related. Right? This is the cause of the Messiah when he comes and conquers. But look at, think about how they're all all, all related. Um, knowing God's word, knowing the word of truth, gives you a proper perspective. It gives you humility or meekness, which leads to obedience, to righteousness. Right, When you understand who God is and you see who you are, it allows you to be obedient and empowers you to be obedient. And obedience puts God and self into proper places. Obedience, by definition, is humble. Because it says that God's way is greater than your way. And so you bow the knee to him. So the conquering might of the king will, will lead to the establishment of God's eternal kingdom. So we see that section first, which is the royal victory. And then we see in verses six to nine, the royal rule, the royal rule. Verse six, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness. So God is suddenly inserted here, which is strange in a love song to the earthly king. But this is only strange if we don't understand 2 Samuel 7, right? Where God tied his earthly throne to David's, I'm sorry, God's eternal throne to David's earthly throne. He said, David, your throne will be established forever. So God is tying himself to the line of David. He actually says this in 2 Samuel 7, 13. He says, he shall build a house for my name. Speaking of David's son, he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So David's reign is going to be eternal. So as the psalmist looks to God's throne, he knows that the throne will one day be permanently united to the Davidic throne on earth. Those two will come together. Now I'm sure he's lacking a lot of understanding as to how that happens. But, he, but he's now speaking to God because God is tied to the kings of the line of David. He mentions the scepter of God being a scepter of uprightness. That word scepter is really important as well. Uh, scepter is spoken of a few times in relation to the Messiah. So Genesis 49.10 is one of those key verses where it says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet. So Judah, the, the tribe of Judah... Is going to be the one to carry on the line of kings. They're going to have the scepter in their hands, and so that scepter is a is a pointer to the kingship of God, this future reign of David that culminates in the reign of the Messiah. We also see it in Psalm two four, where God is you know smashing them with the the, the rod, and then also in Numbers twenty four. You can look that up later. The author of Hebrews actually quotes this verse in an interesting way and it's worth noting, excuse me, Hebrews 1, 8 says, but of the Son, he says, your throne, O God is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. So it's an interesting, interesting quoting there, right? That, that, here, the author of Hebrews is directly tying this love song in Psalm 45, he's tying it directly to Jesus Christ himself. So we can see that our thoughts about who this character is, that this love song is written to, it's not speculation. It's based upon what, what's happening in this text. And, and the God, of course, that's here that rules is that same king, that same Messiah, Jesus verse 7 you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness therefore god your god has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions so this is the heart of a king right you've loved righteousness and hated wickedness and these are not abstract things they they really point to concrete actions right the fulfilling of the law or the breaking of the law is what it's about right so these are these are kind of legal terms and it's speaking about a person's actual conduct, like tangible things. And so the Messiah has a pure heart because he loves those things. He loves the things that are righteous, and he hates those that are wicked. Verses 8 to 9, he goes on, he says, Your robes are all fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cassia from ivory palaces. Stringed instruments make you glad. Daughters of kings are among your ladies of honor. At your right hand stands the queen in gold of Ophir. So there's a great celebration here. A royal company is joining the king, and the queen is here in gold of Ophir. So again, we can see that this love song to this king wasn't really written in a romantic way, right? Because he has a queen. But w- w- you know, we see the queen standing here in this gold. Now, where is this place Ophir? We don't we don't really know, but it had the purest and finest gold. That's kind of the idea in scripture. So the queen is decked out in royal splendor and this company is thronging around the king and and supporting him. And this leads to the royal wedding, the royal wedding. So we see the preparation for it as that they're fragrant with all of these different spices and there's these, this music playing. And then we see the wedding. And here the author of the psalm, the psalmist uh, begins to address the queen. He begins to address the bride. He says, verse 10, Hear, O daughter, and consider and incline your ear. Forget your people and your father's house, and the king will desire your beauty. Since he is your Lord, bow to him. The people of Tyre will seek your favor with gifts, the richest of the people. So he's saying, don't go back to your old home and to your old ways. Put away your old gods and acknowledge that the Lord is king. Make your heart fully his And his heart will be fully yours is the idea. And this image is of a bride receiving gifts from all over the world as people pay tribute to this glorious king. Verse 13, all glorious is the princess in her chamber with robes interwoven with gold in many color robes. She is led to the king with her virgin companions following behind her with joy and gladness. They are led along as they enter the palace of the king. I love this vivid description of what the wedding procession would be that the robe interwoven with gold, the glory and splendor, the colors and the crowd of people following with her. And of course the joy and gladness that's present. Um, these Royal weddings were a time where all the stops were pulled out and they spared no expense. Um, these were amazing occasions to behold um, as we, we hear about in history. And as the Psalmist looks forward to this future wedding of the Messiah, he's he's envisioning here what that will look like, right? He's using his modern, uh, his current, I guess you could say, um, you know, pictures, images of what that wedding will look like. And he's thinking towards what will it be like when the Messiah King is united to his bride. Verse 16, in place of your fathers shall be your sons and you will make them princes in all the earth. So the dynasty continues, right? In place of the ancestors, they're going to have descendants, right? So the, the Davidic dynasty has expanded its rule, right? It continues on, but it's also, it's expanded in the sense of it's also in all the earth, verse 16. And this is going to be a key phrase for the next few Psalms. So, so key into that, um, that, that they are over all the earth. So the Davidic dynasty has expanded its rule. It's brought the rule of God into all of creation. All of it is under the domain of the messianic king, Verse 17, I will cause your name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore, nations will praise you forever and ever. It's kind of unclear in verse 17 who's in view here. Is it God or the Messiah? Because both have been sort of in view. But of course, we know that Jesus Christ is God. So ultimately, we can see this as speaking to the same person, uh, potentially. All right. Uh, 2 Samuel 7, 9, God says, I have been with you wherever you went And have cut off all your enemies from before you, and I will make for you a great name like the great ones of the earth. So God promised to David to make his name great, just like he promised to Abraham. And now, really, he's promising the same idea. Your name is going to be great. It's going to be, though, even more, it's going to be remembered to all generations. uh, for, For the rest of time and to all peoples, they will know who God is. So God's rule has expanded and his peace is over the entire earth and all the nations will praise the Messiah King. So the Psalm ends in a way similar to how it began. The King will be exalted and he will be remembered. And so remember for us, as we look at it from the new Testament context, right? The first coming of Christ was an incredible victory, but it was a victory that was in humiliation from the manger all the way to the tomb. Um, But it was the victory of God. Right? Jesus Christ triumphed over sin and death on the cross and in his resurrection. But his second coming will be an ever even greater victory. And as he brings to culmination all the things he began in his first coming. And it will end with this amazing wedding. right? The wedding feast of the Lamb. The bride of Christ will be brought forward. That's not some woman. right? That's all of us. We are Christ's bride. If we trust in him, if we're his church we will be his bride. And so the ultimate picture is of Christ and the church being united forever in this incredible feast, this celebration that will extend essentially into eternity. So this has incredible import for us, right? This Psalm is our Psalm as well. And so we can rejoice in it because we know the one we've seen his face. We understand how beautiful his appearance was when he came to rescue us.